Welcome back to our story. My name is Matt Stone. I'm one of the associate pastors at Dunwoody UMC. I'm really glad that you have joined us today, and we've got Dr. Phil Schrader with us as well. How you doing, Phil? Doing great. Doing great. Good to be with you, Matt. Great. So this week, we're jumping ahead a little bit in the story as we continue the series, Wrestling with the Text. And I'm excited about this passage, if for no other reason than to see what in the world you might do with this. So catch us up a little bit on the story between where we left off last week and the reconciliation between Joseph's brothers and Joseph and where we are starting this week. This is quite a fast forward. You kind of fast forward to the end of Genesis. Things are going well for Joseph and his family. He's turned out to be discerning, wise, full of the Spirit of God. And then the page turns to Exodus. His family is thriving. Everything is going very well. And then you hear the ominous tones of the eighth verse of Exodus 1 that says, Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. So Joseph and his family, the Israelites seem to have been getting along very well with the Egyptians. They're thriving together in community. But somehow this new leader doesn't know his history, doesn't know the story, doesn't understand the impact that Joseph and his people have had and how they have worked together. And he begins to start this kind of paranoid rant uh, about what is going to happen between Joseph's people uh, or the people he knows as the Israelites, the Hebrew people, and his people. He's he's afraid of what's going to happen to them and seems to have missed this long period of peaceful coexistence and thriving together. Yeah, because in, in reality, the text doesn't tell us here, but later on what we realize is that the distance between, the distance in time between the end of Genesis and the beginning of Exodus is really about what, three, four hundred years? Is that right? It's quite some time. So it's been a long time since Joseph uh, and his family have moved down there and a long time of thriving and prosperity for uh, a prosperity of sorts for the Hebrew people. And then, like you're saying, you almost hear the thunder on the horizon and uh, or maybe it's even more dramatic than that. It's the, the switch is, is flipped as we begin the, the, the first chapter of Exodus. So we're looking this Sunday then at really the first chapter and a half of Exodus. And there's a lot that you might focus on. I'm really curious to hear, Phil, what are you wrestling with in this first chapter and a half of a new story? Well, there are really two parts to this story. The first part is the story of the midwives. And one of the things that I think you have to wrestle with is, are they Hebrew midwives or are they midwives to the Hebrews? Okay. That is one of the questions in the text. And if they're Hebrew midwives, why would Pharaoh trust them to take the lives of Hebrew babies? Mm. And if they're Egyptian midwives who just happen to be in midwives to the Hebrews, why would they disobey their godlike Pharaoh to obey the God of the the Hebrews, Hmm. to hear uh, a higher calling. Uh, Their calling was to bring children into the world, and now they're asked to go totally against that calling and to take lives. And that has to be a real internal struggle for them uh, because they may have done that in exchange for their own lives. If 
if they don't take the lives of these Hebrew children, uh, I would have thought as you hear the story that Pharaoh would have taken their lives. But it turns out to be a taming of the shrewd. <laughs> taming of the shrewd. It, it, it says, I mean, that's what the text says. It says, uh, come, let us deal shrewdly with them or they will increase in the event of war and they'll join our enemies. They'll fight against us and escape our land. Uh, it, it feels really paranoid at this point. He says the Israelite people are getting more number, numerous than our people. And Calissa pointed out to me that these people have been living together in the land for quite some time. It's probably harder and harder to distinguish who are the Egyptians and who are the Israelites based on uh, what we know about human nature. Oh, so what you hear is almost an assimilation between the uh, an assimilation of the Hebrew people into Egyptian culture. You would think, you know, okay. how, how how would you know? There's that story about Potiphar's wife and Joseph. So th- I'm, I have to believe there's some intermarriage, there's some intermingling. And how do you then separate after three or four hundred years together the Egyptians from the Hebrews? Interesting. And yet this new Pharaoh is worried that the Hebrew people are going to become too numerous and somehow overtake him, get too much power. So he doubles down and enslaves them even more. And when he enslaves them even more, they multiply even more. So under the threat of oppression, when they're an enslaved people, they become more and more of him. So his problems continue to get worse. It's as though every time he tries one thing to rid himself of this problem, the problem gets worse. And the first part of the story is about these two Hebrew midwives or midwives to the Hebrews who push back against this leader, this ruler. And uh, what courage that must take, what intestinal fortitude to be able to push back against this ruler and kind of beat him at his own game. And then that's the first part in chapter one. And then in chapter two, it's his own daughter who undermines his genocide. He is trying to kill all the Hebrew baby boys, which is another strange thing. Uh, If you're trying to eliminate the next generation of people, eliminating all the boys is probably not the best way to eliminate a whole generation of people. But it is a great way to eliminate the perceived strength, right? What Pharaoh thinks he's doing is taking away the strength of the Hebrew people. And what he fails to see is, and the first couple of stories bear it out, is it's not just the men that are the strength of, of Israel, that it is the women in this story who show up as possessing incredible courage. You know, I'd never really thought about it from this perspective, Phil, but one of the interesting things is you have both the Hebrew midwives, but also the Hebrew, the young Hebrew girl who essentially connects Pharaoh's daughter to the child's mother and and saves the day in a sense like that, uh, or or in that, that kind of way. And what's interesting is they're pushing back not just against some tribal chief, right? They're not just pushing back against the local warlord. They're pushing back and standing up to the most powerful man in the known world at this time, right? Egypt is the greatest empire in the world historically at this time. And these Hebrew midwives and this young Hebrew girl are standing up to the most powerful human threat 
on the earth. That's an astounding story. It is. And we think about the firstborn being killed. Mm-hmm. And this is obviously not the firstborn, perhaps, because he's got a sister. So if his sister's looking out for him, mm-hmm. can he be the firstborn? He's the firstborn male, perhaps, in the family, but mm-hmm. he's not the firstborn. And his sister is the one, this young woman, looking out for him and trying to find an opportunity for his life to be saved. Yeah, I love wrestling with the text in this way because it helps us to see features and details that are so easy to miss. And we have missed details like this historically in the church, sometimes by accident, but maybe more often out of a willful blindness. And so I I appreciate you pointing that out, the role that the midwives play in particular in standing up. That's not just a small amount of courage. Uh, that that is displayed there. That's an extraordinary act of sacrifice because, like you said, what what we would have expected is that Pharaoh would have dispatched them. Uh, it would have right. you know uh, just had them you know removed. And here's a willingness to sacrifice themselves. Yeah, it says over and over again, just like we had that hatred build up in the Joseph story. Mm-hmm. They hated their brother. They hated their brother. They hated their brother. They were jealous of him, and they wouldn't even speak a word of peace to them. Uh, you can see the ruthlessness build up in this. He tries to become more and more ruthless, more and more um, stringent in the things he imposes on them trying to make them conform to his will. Yeah, he really shows up almost as an anti-God, right? He shows up as as almost a perfect foil to the way that God is going to show up in the future of this story. And, and the groundwork for the entire Exodus story is this man whose heart is for death and genocide and oppression. And we're about to hear a different story. But before we do... We hear a foreshadowing of it in these midwives. I love that story. That's that's phenomenal. And I love what happens to the midwives, right? They feared God. And yeah. because they feared God, and this is another place to struggle in the text. It says, because they feared God, they were given families. And I have seen people who I know who love and fear God desperately Uh, who have not been granted families in the same way that we might think that they were granted families. Mm. Uh, But because they feared God, they were part of a greater family. They were part of a greater family, uh, the family of God, in a way that they perhaps had not seen themselves before. So it may not just be that they were granted a physical family, but they participated in this larger family of the Hebrew people who loved and... uh, revered God together. I love this line in in, uh, verse 12, but the midwives feared God because they feared God. They did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the boys live. And another thing to wrestle with is it, it didn't say they didn't kill the boys. It says they let the boys live. In fact, it has this sense of they help the boys to thrive. And some of the Uh, ancient stories that were told by the rabbis were about all the things that these Hebrew midwives did to try and help the boys live more fully. They would get food from other parents. They would collect things to make sure that these boys not only 
didn't be, weren't killed, but that they lived fully to live abundantly. And I mean, that is the promise of the gospel, right? The promise of the gospel is is not just to live, but to live abundantly. And it's one of the things that these Hebrew uh, midwives do is they help these children to live abundantly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I like it goes on to say in in twenty that God God dealt well with the midwives, right? God dealt well with them. Yeah, that's great. That's and great. And the people multiplied and became very strong. And because the midwives feared God, He gave them families. Yeah. I think that's a piece. That's a part of the text to struggle with. It's a part to wrestle with. I left it out of the devotionals this week because I didn't feel like I had enough time to really unpack what that meant. It, it's a remarkable thing to listen to a passage from from different perspectives, Phil, because that's not a perspective that would have been on my radar. Hmm. And I think this highlights one of the one of the reasons that it's so important not only to wrestle with the text but to wrestle with the text with other people. And that really goes back to your first message in the series in finding the right partner to wrestle with. Uh, and and certainly God is our partner in wrestling so so often but having somebody else to wrestle, uh, you know, a brother or a sister to wrestle with these texts with as a way of opening them up, cracking, cracking them open in a way so that we can see different features and details that aren't incidental, right? That's not an incidental element of this story. That, that really could be considered an important moment in the life of Israel because at this point, their, their future is in doubt, Right. They, right. They, they, are, they are under attack now. And he's trying to put their future in doubt. I mean, that's the whole intent of Pharaoh is to put their future in doubt. So it's not just you know, a tentative time with a, a young boy in a pit. It is someone is really out to get the whole community. Right. And what's at stake? Right. What's at stake if, if Pharaoh is successful here? Uh, the promise of God to God's people. Uh, there's this sense that um, if you remember Jacob's dream, he's told that his children will be like the dust of the earth and they'll spread abroad from the east to the west to the north and the south and all the families of the earth will be blessed in, in him and in his offspring. And so he's got this sense that the offspring are here now in Egypt, but they also have a promise that is tied to place and their promise that they will be brought back to the land. And that also is in jeopardy. Yeah, it makes me think of, you know, watching a movie or a television show where this despicable villain comes on the scene and uh, part of me certainly hates that person, right? We're 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 made to hate the the villain. But part of me enjoys that moment because you know you know they're not going to be successful, right? Early on in the movie, the villain seems to be winning everything, but you know it's not going to turn out that way. And part of me loves this part of the story for that same reason, because you know Pharaoh can't possibly be successful. And so you watch him make mistake after mistake, and you watch every plan that he lays out completely and utterly fail. In fact, the opposite of what he plans uh, ends up taking place. And then Charleston has, Charlton Heston shows up. I was wondering when he comes into the story. I, I looked all the way through Exodus. I didn't see him. Uh, next week. Next week. Okay. Okay. He shows up there. Well... To be fair, young Charlton Heston shows up at the at the beginning of chapter two. 
He does. And it's a great phrase. The woman conceived and bore a son. We hear that over and over again in the scripture. Uh, We hear echoes of that in the New Testament. The woman conceived and bore a son, and she saw that he was a fine baby. Uh, It literally says he was good. And we hear that from... Uh, creation. I mean, we, we're going back to the beginning of Genesis now. So people who'd read the beginning of Genesis would hear that same thing. And it was, you know, the, there was morning and it was evening the first day. And God creates and says it is good. And then God creates humanity and says it is very good. And so this child has been born to this faithful Hebrew woman. Mm-hmm. And she uh, says, sees him and says, he was a fine baby. And she literally says, he is good. And then and then hell breaks loose. That is true. Right? And the this is interesting. I've never thought about this fully in uh, in this part of the story. So as it recalls the goodness of creation, we also are in the middle of a story that exemplifies as well as any other story in human history the brokenness of creation. And then you have a second appearance of the ark, right? That's right. The ark is right there. It's a lot smaller this time. Much smaller. And it's not not two by two. There's just one in the ark. Yeah. Uh, But I don't think he's by himself. Yeah, yeah. And and so this child's delivered through the waters that were intended for his death, right? Because Pharaoh says, throw the children into the Nile River, right? This, This river was an instrument of death. But in his mother's, when his mother places him in this ark, this basket, he's delivered through those waters that were intended for death and into a new kind of life. That's a fascinating story. Somebody said that, uh, you know, with Noah, it won't be the last time that God saves God's people with a piece of wood. I've not heard that before. It's not original. I didn't make that up. I haven't heard that before. I like it. I like it. Well, Phil, as we think about Sunday, right, the, the pur- part of the purpose of our time together in this podcast is to help us to prepare well for Sunday morning so that we can be fully present and ready for the Spirit of God to speak clearly to us. So in that pursuit, how can we get ready uh, for worship in a holistic sense this Sunday? I think that uh, you might start just by pondering your own name, who you are, what your name means, and how you're living into your name, and how your name can have an impact. Uh, How your name was decided on, how um, that name has helped you reflect and become who you are. In the second chapter, um, when Pharaoh's daughter opens the ark, she saw that the baby was crying and she took pity on him. Where are our hearts moved? Where are we taking pity on those who may have been in the pit, uh, as we'll talk about, uh, talked about in worship over these last couple of weeks? Where, where are our hearts being moved to help? I like that. So, so that's a bit of foreshadowing, I think, about where we're going to spend some time on Sunday in thinking about names and their meaning. And I certainly will be thinking about my own name and I hope you'll do the same. Mine means lover of horses. I said that before, which is just, that doesn't uh, do as much, but my middle name, Daniel has, has a little bit more gravitas. (laughs) I I don't know. Horses weigh lots. They have plenty of gravity involved. 
Yes. Phil, thanks so much for your time uh, today. This has been a lot of fun to dig into this text. And, uh, and I can't wait to hear what's going to happen on Sunday morning. And so as we continue to delve into our story, I hope that you are wrestling with this story and the story of God's work in your life. And we'll look forward to seeing you again next week. Thank you. See you Sunday. Thanks for listening to the Our Story podcast from Dunwoody United Methodist Church. Visit us online at dunwoodyumc.org and join us for online worship every Sunday morning. This Sunday, August 23rd, we'll have outdoor worship at 8.45 a.m. in the parking lot or 7.30 p.m. on the ball field. We'll also be opening our sanctuary from 10 a.m. to noon for personal prayer. We hope you'll join us and add your story to ours.